welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and today is February 9th, and today we're going to look at Genesis 40. Just a reminder, every day I read from one chapter of God's Word, so today we're going to read from Genesis 40, and then I offer a brief explanation of key ideas, themes, and theology. My goal is to get you into God's Word for about 5 to 20 minutes every day. So let's get to our reading today from Genesis chapter 40. Genesis 40 says this, Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. And so he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master house, Why are your faces downcast today? And they said to them, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. And so the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, it blossomed, shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me hit the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so to get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of Hebrews, and here I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. Now he restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. And yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Well, this is our reading today from Genesis chapter 40. 
Joseph had a more blessed time in prison than the other prisoners. He was placed in charge over all the inmates. He found favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, according to Genesis 39, 20-23. And yet these privileges did not alleviate his suffering completely. Our chapter today indicates he was in chains when he was not carrying out his appointed duties. He was confined while in prison, according to verse 3 of our chapter. But a better translation of this word would be bound, showing that he was fettered at least some of the time. Later books of the Bible confirm this inference in Psalm 105, 16-22. And so we see that Joseph endured bondage even as he was given some freedom in his role as supervisor in the prison. Now, we do not know exactly how long Joseph was in prison. It was a total of 13 years from the time he was sold into slavery at age 17 until he was appointed governor of Egypt when he was 30, according to Genesis 37.2 and Genesis 41.46. But we cannot determine the precise amount of time he spent in prison versus his length of service to Potiphar. Joseph doubtless found imprisonment an arduous test of his patience, especially in the time before he met the Pharaoh's cupbearer, who would offer hope to him that he would one day be released. Well, whatever its exact length, verse 1 of our chapter today, it implies a great deal of time intervened between Joseph's entry into prison and his hopeful meeting with the cupbearer and the baker. Now, Joseph would find hope for his future in these figures because of the position they held in Pharaoh's court. The cupbearer was among Pharaoh's most trusted advisors because his job was to taste the king's wine and to determine if it was for sa safe for the Pharaoh to drink. Only one who was supremely loyal to the king could be good for this position, and thus the cupbearer could wield a lot of influence over the king on Joseph's behalf. Compare, for example, Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer, to the Persian king centuries after Joseph died in Nehemiah 1, 1 through Nehemiah 2, 8. Now, initially, Joseph is demoted when these two royal officials arrive. Incarcerated they may be, but they are still of high rank, and Potiphar makes Joseph serve them. According to verse 4, Now, as in Potiphar's house, Joseph has been raised up and is yet cast down soon afterward. And although time in prison could make anyone discouraged, Joseph does not waver from his consistent service. No matter the work that he's given to do, overseer of the prison or attendant to the cupbearer and the baker, Joseph continued to serve others and wait on the Lord. We should expect nothing less than since patience has always been a distinguishing mark of the people of God, as Galatians 5.22 says. Let me ask you, do you patiently wait for our father to act, or do you try to force his hand? With no one else to turn to, the Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker looked to Joseph to give them the proper interpretation of their dreams. Our chapter today gives us the cupbearer's dream and its meaning. Now, Moses records the chief cupbearer's vision and its interpretation in greater detail than the baker's dream, probably because the cupbearer is more important historically. After all, he is the one through whom the Lord uh, affects Joseph's release from prison to set him over Egypt in chapter 41. Well, in any case, the cupbearer's dream favorably predicts his release and restoration. Well, Jacob's favorite son not only gives the chief cupbearer the significance of his dream, he also asks this official to speak to the king and give him his release. Three aspects of this response are especially noteworthy. First, Joseph evidently had confidence that he had given the right interpretation. Otherwise, it would make no sense for him to ask the cupbearer to go to bat for him. 
and given his belief that his gift came from the Lord. This confidence again reflects Joseph's strong faith in God, even when his present conditions seemed hopeless. He knew the Lord, who gave him the interpretation, would most definitely bring these events to pass for the cupbearer. Now, secondly, Joseph does not rehash the crimes of his brothers or Potiphar's wife. Instead, he describes in general terms the events that brought him to an Egyptian jail in verse 15. And this suggests his willingness to forgive his enemies and even forget their horrendous acts in chapter 37 and 39. John Christendom looks to Joseph here as an example for how we should go about defending ourselves, as well as Matthew Henry, who calls us to be content to prove ourselves innocent and not be fond of upbraiding others with our guilt. Now, Joseph's response to the cupbearer shows he's not a fatalist. He does not simply sit around waiting for one of the guards to come to free him. Joseph instead understands the providence of God well. He knows that the Lord's sovereign, and that sovereignty properly understood, encourages us to seize opportunities for the kingdom of God. Now, in response to those who said God's sovereignty over death makes it useless to do anything to prevent that death, John Calvin wrote that we must avail ourselves of any chance we have to preserve our lives. We must not rush headlong into the disasters God warns us about, for the Lord calls us to protect ourselves. In other words, God's providence does not mean that our deeds are pointless. We are responsible to act for the sake of the kingdom. Now, hearing that the chief cupbearer would be released from prison and even restored to his position, it encouraged the baker to tell Joseph about his dream in verse 16. And yet, as we read about today, the baker will not enjoy the same fate as a cupbearer. Perhaps the baker is hopeful Joseph will predict a good future for him, since like the cupbearer before him, his dream involves a number three. Each dream also contains certain aspects suited to each worker's specific vocation. Grapes for the cupbearer in verses 9 through 11. The bread baskets for the baker in verse 16. The baskets filled with all sorts of baked foods for Pharaoh in verse 17. It fits the baker's job during this period very well. After all, Egyptian documents list 38 varieties of cakes and 57 types of bread available in the royal court. Now, the similarities between the two dreams end here. The cupbearer's head will be lifted up according to verses 12 through 13. That is, he will be restored to favor, but the baker's head will also be lifted off his shoulders in verse 19. Pharaoh will not pardon his baker, for he will behead him and even string him up for all to see. Now, this text does not indicate explicitly Joseph's emotional state as he interpreted this dream, but his earlier empathy with this official in verses 6 through 8, it makes us aware that this news would have been very difficult to give. And still, being the man of God that he is, Joseph does not shirk from giving the hard interpretation. Now, as Matthew Henry tells us, Joseph, as a minister of God, could not do otherwise and even remain faithful to his call. Matthew Henry reminds us that ministers are but interpreters. They cannot make the thing otherwise than it is. John Calvin writes, Many with ardor and altricity desire the word of God, not because they simply wish to be governed by the Lord and to know what is right, but because they dream of mere enjoyment. Just as the baker sought a favorable interpretation so that he might rest easy, so too do many want preaching that tickles their ears but does not warn them of their sins. Now, the church must preach all of the inspired word of God to such people just as Joseph was not afraid to give the baker the truth. 
Now, we Reformed Christians are known for our concern about precision in theology and even for seeking to preach the unvarnished Word of God. That is awesome. That is great. And yet, we must likewise be eager to hear the hard truth when they're delivered to us. None of us likes to be warned or even rebuked, and it, and it can be easy to follow after teaching that pleases our ears but does not really meet the needs of our souls. So let us heed Scripture even when it's difficult to do so. And so often we join with David and cry out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? In Psalm 13, verse 1. Because of the seemingly endless weight that defines the Christian life. We know that our present troubles are nothing in comparison to the eternal weight of glory guaranteed for the people of God, according to 2 Corinthians 4:17. But in the midst of our pain, it can seem like this glory will never come. Encouraged on by the saints, we know that we must run the race of faith set before us, according to Hebrews 12, 1-2. But the finish line can seem invisible when trials spring up as hurdles. And Jesus promised us a hundredfold reward, even today, if we leave all to follow him, as he says in Mark 10, 29-31. And yet we easily believe he has forgotten us when this blessing does not come to our minds fast enough. It is not as if we lack enough evidence that the Lord remembers his people. After all, his transformation of us from God-haters to loving servants and his past answers to prayer are a significant proof of our Father's fidelity. Even better are his promises to complete his good work in us in Philippians 1.6 and to, to use all things for our good as it says in Romans 8.28. And nevertheless, we often fail to trust the Lord. Or Dr. R.C. Spell writes, In theory, it is easy to understand the premise that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, but to get this into our bloodstreams is another matter. It is one of the most difficult tasks of the practicing Christian. It involves not only believing in God, but believing God, he says. We engage in a lifelong struggle to take the Lord at His word. And despite Joseph's accurate interpretation of the cupbearer's dream, Pharaoh's official failed to remember Jacob's son in verses 20 through 23. And the cupbearer's forgetfulness was bad enough, but how much worse was it on those days when, because Joseph was a sinner like us, it took all he had to believe that God had not forgotten him. After all, two more years would pass before the Lord intervened in Joseph's circumstance to show him clearly again his presence with the patriarch, as chapter 41 says. We know Joseph did persevere, looking past his sufferings to seek refuge in God's invisible hand in Genesis 50:20, and we must do as well, even when it seems more rational to do otherwise. Isaiah 49:15 tells us that the unthinkable may actually happen at times. A mother forgets her nursing baby, but God will never forget his people. Even when we do not see his helping hand, the Lord remembers us in our trials and in our afflictions. The assurance Moses gives us that God was with Joseph in Genesis 39:21 is for all those who trust in the Lord. So do not despair, no matter what is happening to you, the sovereign Lord of all can by no means ever forget you, as Hebrews 13:5 says. After some time in custody, according to Genesis 40, verse 4, Moses tells us the royal cupbearer and baker, whom Joseph now serves, each have a dream with its own interpretation in verse 5. Living centuries after Joseph, Moses knew the Lord would reveal the meaning of these dreams to Jacob's son. And yet, even though these officials do not know Joseph will be the one to explain their dreams at this point, Moses' reference to each dream having an interpretation is not merely editorial license reflecting his knowledge of what comes next. 
text. Since Egyptians believed dreams were predicted, the cupbearer and the baker would expect their dreams to offer clues about the future. There was a special class trained to interpret dreams in ancient Egypt, and an entire corpus of literature was devoted to the explanation of such visions. Now, in prison, these officials do not have access to professional interpreters, and so they are troubled with uncertainty in verse 6. Their attendant Joseph quickly notices their worry and learns what is behind their troubles in verses 7 through 8. His reply reveals the strength of his faith and his spiritual maturity. He has spent years waiting for his lot to improve, but Joseph still believes God is with him and will give him the meaning of the dreams, and so he can confidently ask to hear them. Also, Joseph explicitly declares that this interpretation of dreams comes from the Lord's inspiration in verse 8. In his younger years, Joseph proudly paraded his interpretive abilities in Genesis 37. Now, having been humbled in prison, Joseph now affirms his talent as a gift from on high. Now, Joseph's empathy for the cupbearer and the baker moves him to inquire about their emotional state in verses 6 through 7. Such compassion is required of the people of God, and it must be evident in our own lives as well, as Colossians 3.12 says. Even Jesus came to empathize with us in our weakness, according to Hebrews 2.18 and Hebrews 4.14-16. You see, Christ's empathy with us is, is greater than Joseph's empathy with the prisoners. And nevertheless, as John Christendom writes, even when he, Joseph, found himself in prison, he gave evidence of his characteristic virtue and was concerned to relieve the sadness of others. May we also empathetically minister to those who are suffering. Now, the empathy that helps us minister to others is worked in us by the Holy Spirit as we seek to model the compassion of Christ and as he comforts us in our own sufferings. Indeed, as Matthew Henry says, communion in sufferings helps to work compassion towards those who do suffer. The problem and the tragedies we face help us to learn to minister to other people. So when you suffer, ask God to use the experience to increase your compassion for others. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and today is February 9th, and we've looked at Genesis 40. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.